turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. People are like, we did what? We started a show. <laughs> These guys require a lot of positive support. We uh, So we mentioned it yesterday, but today is officially our, what do we decide, one-year birthday. Anniversary. No. It's a big day. We got one person applauding yeah, our for studio us. audience. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you to our studio audience. It does feel like a big deal. I, I remember thinking back month one going... I, I actually remember early on thinking about like have what it would be like to have done the show for a year. Going that that seems like a really long time. I'm not sure oh, we're really? going to pull that off. Yeah, so I'm proud of us. You uh, you talked a lot about not being sure we'd even like last a year. Well, part of it is not to make it too serious, but part of it is you and I. Also, it required some moving around of our lives, yeah, and there was some true. question as to whether that would work as well. That's true. And so there were a lot of moving parts early on that I think. If things had cut a diff certain ways, we wouldn't be at this spot. Right. So a year's a big deal. Do you remember that first day still? I remember being much more nervous than I am today. <laughs> I yeah. Do, well, you and I met with the staff. I remember here, and they introduced us. We, we dressed a lot nicer that I say day. You were wearing we a now. collared shirt. I yeah. was. And then I realized, oh, I don't need to do that. And uh, But now he's not even wearing shoes. <laughs> but I do remember being nervous yeah. and uh, and being excited. And just really, it was that whole sense of like, I don't, we have no idea what we're doing. Well, and, then, and also, the music came on, and we started. Yeah, it was really terrifying. And I was standing up because I, I was too amped and too nervous and too everything. And I remember telling you, and you hadn't actually listened to it, but my very first words on this show Exactly a year ago, I flubbed. I was too nervous. <laughs> I was all over the place. And so we thought we'd reach way back into the archives to the very beginning of the very first show Our of this first show. first words as the common good. And I totally screwed them up. Take a listen. This is the common good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Well, good afternoon. My name is Brian Fromm, along here with Ian Simpkins, and welcome to the first rendition of The Common Good. Ian, we're here, man. We made it. Can't be, can't be, I couldn't be more excited. <laughs> this is uh, the, the maiden voyage of The Common Good here. Uh, I really, really porky pig that one, man. It's... So not my proudest. That moment. was really funny. First of all, I I did not I did not have a perfect start there either. I also to this day whenever I'm like Brian from alongside now I'm always alongside, but did you hear what I did? Brian from along here with Ian Simpkins. But you you did you did Porky Pig it right yeah, there. That yours was great. is not nearly as bad no. as mine. Can't be can't be couldn't be happier to be here. What? Just, are you okay? You should sit down. Right there, they just pull the plug. No, nope, we're out. You like, do. Doesn't this guy? Like talk for a living already? Uh, I do believe there on the first break that we then went to. Uh, well, 
I think the first break we went to, I then called our show The Common Ground. Oh, was that not the first segment or was it the end of that segment? I think it was the end of that segment. Oh, I think man. it was when we went to commercial and everyone just kind of looked through the glass at me like, <laughs> what? I said, oh. Were there people in the room? Not in the room, but remember out in the hallway, I think they were kind of listening over there and they okay. kind of looked at me like, really? You got the name of the show wrong? Like, okay. <laughs> now we got big signs that remind yeah, right. me what the name of everything is. <laughs> a lot of visual cues yes. to help us out. What do you, uh, I, I really do remember being just exceptionally nervous. Like, couldn't sleep the night before. Mm-hmm. Like, could not even think straight. Obviously, as evidenced by that intro right there. Uh, but for me, I, I also remember, like, feeling, like, really deeply honored by the yeah. Privilege, mm-hmm. like like knowing, wow, man, th- there's so many people they could have asked or could have chosen. The fact that you and I get this platform to often in real time, like work out our own convictions, our right. own thoughts, to grapple with things that are happening in the world, to have really like remarkable guests in studio and on phone, Absolutely. like share their wisdom and their perspective. When I think back to the last year, there really is. I was talking about this with my wife. It's like this. I don't know it. If I just feel incredibly blessed to yeah. have the, the opportunity, and I, and a lot of times too, when people will, um, like I was home, you know, in Detroit for the holidays, people were like, dude, you have a radio show, <laughs> that's inc- like, and I'm like, that is, it really that is, is a, a remarkable, yeah. it's a remarkable blessing. It's been a lot of, it's been a lot of fun. Like, I don't just have a radio show; it's in the third largest media market in the country. Uh, I do remember early on, uh, like, do you remember that very first segment we did was literally the day before the stuff about Harvest Bible Chapel had come out, and I remember feeling so out over my skis. Yeah, right. Like, what are we talking about? Right. Like this is crazy. Uh, but the last year for me has been marked by it's like the lady at the at the Lyft conference who called us the laughing pastors. Like right, we right. genuinely laugh a lot on air, off air, here, and that's been fun. And I mean, I think about the number of friends we've been able to have in, but then also uh-huh. some people that are just. Uh, really impressive that I don't think I would have had the chance to meet, like just kind of right. this mix, a lot of things to talk about. It's really been a fun journey, and thankfully, uh, they're letting us keep doing it. And yeah, so no kidding. I am, uh, you know, I felt like I do remember uh, at one of our first meetings with Marcus, our program director, I think it was with him, I remember them saying it takes like a full year to kind of get your legs. Hmm. And I remember thinking, like, that's weird. Like, a year, yeah, that's, that's a weird. long time, right. But now to look back and be like, okay. And, and so that gives me hope that for this next year, like, we're not figuring things out. We can kind of grow this thing and do some things. So I'm, I'm really excited for the next year and, and whatever, however long it goes. The other thing I've been really appreciative of is, is you all. Like, the, we'll post stuff to the Facebook page, and sometimes the dialogue that ensues following that is yeah. so interesting and sometimes so surprising, and it's, it's given me a real appreciation for the diversity of our audience. Yeah. There are people who like look and act and vote and live in very different places, and that's kind of honestly, that's been our dream since day one, this like common piece, like, okay. Mm-hmm. In a world that seems to be increasingly divided and we seem to you know, be hunkering down in our echo chambers and confirmation bias, like it's, it is really inspiring to me to see sometimes these conversations that take place. You're like, wow, you two people don't know each other at all, yep. but you're yep. engaging in this really important dialogue. And the fact that we get to be a part of that at all is, is super That's humbling. Cool. And do you remember day one? Uh, for various reasons, the station had not announced that we were doing a show. Hmm. Like, we just got started. And then all of a sudden, it went out on Facebook. So I also remember that first day just getting a ton of messages while we're doing it. Like, it was like this, yeah, this right. kind of storm of, like, in a good way, just all of a sudden, the news hit the same day we were doing it. Yeah, and you're right. Like, oh, you're trying to explain it to people. And uh, it was a lot. It was fun. It was a, it was quite the whirlwind there. Well, for what it's worth, uh, 
we really, really do mean it when we say how much fun we have doing this show, yep. but also how much we appreciate you and your investment in it and your suggestions and your feedback, any of the interaction. We're so grateful for the leadership here at AM 1160 and the ways that they have kind of vouched for us and gone to bat for us and invested in us. And in a lot of ways, given us a lot of freedom. Yeah, you know, absolutely. that was one of the things as two pastors, like, hey, we're two very different people. And uh, the amount of slack they've given us to, like, dive into some sometimes controversial topics. Yeah. Uh, none of that is lost on either of us. We are really, really grateful, Super grateful. for this last year. And uh, I think even more excited for this next year looking forward, like you were saying, now that we've sort of found our legs and our voice a little bit. And uh, I don't know, man. I'm I'm hopeful. I think it's going to be a really, really great in next the, year. In the new year, can we start referring to our audience as the common gooders, or you're still not uh, good with that? <laughs> you're still not good with that? Why don't we let them weigh in on that? Does anyone listening want to be called the common gooders? M- my guess, let me shake my magic eight ball here. Do you remember I suggested that to you early on, and you looked at me like, I really hope you're joking. <laughs> yeah, we've given each other that expression a lot in the last year. Well, it's been a lot of fun, and the show is going to keep on rolling. Couldn't be, couldn't be, can't be happier. Is that how, is that how I said? Thanks for joining us on the that, Common Ground that's today. All, folks. <laughs> all right, well, coming up next, uh, three things to do when your life doesn't match the plan that you had for it. That's coming up next here on the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. This is our birthday show. Happy birthday. Happy anniversary to us. We gotta choose a lane there. What do you think? I think it's, uh, well, I was gonna go anniversary, but birthday is celebrating the start of something. Mm, so Technically, so the show anniversaries. was birth. Yes. And the anniversary is the start of your marriage. Good point, good point. <laughs> I'm going anniversary. Well, I'm going birthday then, just to be contrarian. Can we let people know what's going on in our studio right now? There's a light blinking that I think is just going to cause us to have seizures or something. It's just crazy in here. I feel like it's bothering you a whole lot more than it's, it's bothering, really me. bothering me. Yeah, <laughs> see to, me just leave. <laughs> to say it's crazy in here feels like a bit of an, an overreach. overreach. <laughs> yeah, you guys are not going to. There's a light that year flickers. two, the year of the overreach. Here on the common good. Is that that's going to be the theme? Do you choose a theme for the year or a word? Are you one of those people who does that? What do you mean, am I one of those people? There there are types of people. Yeah, but you said it a certain way. Who choose a word? I am not one of those people. Do you have a word for 2020? I've never actually done the word thing. I would have actually guessed you did not. So there you go. Why would you guess that? Because you're not one of those people. What does that even mean? Okay, now we're just talking in circles. <laughs> Anywho. First you were mad that I called you one of those people, and then when I called you not one of those people, that means I wasn't you meant mad. To. No, I was mad on behalf of those the people, people who do those word things. Good. It's so meta. All you right. are their people. Did I give any of the information yet? No. Okay. Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. Also, uh, podcasts. You're not going to be able to pay attention with this light, are you? <laughs> You guys, Brian is losing his mind right now. It's not that bad. It's not that. Send prayers. Um, all right. So uh, out of relevance, lots of prayers. Three three things to do when your life doesn't match your plan, like a light flickering in a studio. Is are you reaching in to turn the light off in the middle? Okay. So <laughs> we are so, off the rails on John, show one of the day. John just tried to reach in sneakily and adjust the lights without us knowing, and it. 
just made him look it like took a sociopath. Us to segment two of year two to go My completely goodness. off the rails. Yeah, now it's like a weird mood lighting in here. I like it. it very, oh, yeah, you would. You're one, you're one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so three things to do when your life doesn't match your plan. This is actually a conversation in pastoral work that I hear all the time. Like, I yeah. hear the phrase, I didn't picture my life going like this a lot. And uh, I'm, people in church or pastors or both? What are you talking about? Oh, no. Typically more people in church. Okay. Yeah. I don't know that I hear that as much from pastors, but probably also that people have like you're a church planner. You've yep. shared a little bit about wh- where you thought you would be in 10 years sure. and what that would look like. And sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse. Sometimes it's both. Um, have you heard a lot of this sentiment, though? This isn't totally how I figured my life would go out? I think so. I think what I end up hearing a lot, what we hear a lot of is people going, man, life's going so much faster than I thought, and this isn't where I thought I'd be at this point. Like, oh, and it's not slowing down. It's kind of all part of that package. Okay, that's fair enough. Yep. I think that's uh, I think that's probably true for a lot of people. So it's, the title is Three Things to Do When Your Life Doesn't Match Your Plan, and uh, I like it because it's an alliteration, and we do like alliterations in ministry, but it begins by saying sometimes life doesn't always go the way we think it should. Many times it goes in the exact opposite direction, like you were planning on going to the Bahamas and ended up in Alaska, the opposite direction, like you thought you were going to have a house, kids, perfect job, and a drop-dead gorgeous spouse, but instead you are still living with your parents, can't keep a goldfish alive, trying to find a job and going on dates that feel more like catfish opposite direction like you never mind you get the point our lives are a mix of ups and downs twists and turns and the occasional loop-de-loop thrown in for good measure one thing i know i guess three things i know there are some steps we can take to understand uh to understand better where we are and get back on track so the first one is recognize want to tell us about this one a little bit yeah the author writes you have to recognize where you are for what it is Understand the place you are at and why you feel the way you feel. You have to take a look with clear eyes at what is going on around you. Catch this, he says. uh, Your vision is directly related to your perception, and your perception is directly related to your prescription. You can only see what you can see. You can only know what you can know. Your perception dictates your field of view. Your field of view is dictated by your prescription. Uh, And he says, your current circumstances doesn't determine your future condition. You have to recognize today as what it is. And he goes on to say, I found that there are generally three ways to end up where you don't want to end up. Self-inflicted, externally inflicted, and mixture. Uh, And and so basically he says, so now that we have recognized where we are, how do we then respond? So the first is just a recognition. It's a a recognition that this is just where I'm at right now. Yeah, and the questions that he asks I think are pretty good. What part of your situation is a self-induced consequence? What part of your situation is externally induced? What part of your situation is a mixture of both? So once you've recognized the second option, the second step he offers here is reframe. After you recognize where you are, uh, what did you self-induce and what came from external sources and what was a mixture you have to reframe? Remember what I said about perspective? It means everything. Sometimes we have to reframe our perspective to be able to move forward from where we are. And a lot of that boils down to our feelings. There are a lot of things we tell ourselves that only perpetuate the problem. For example... I'm lost, I'm trapped, I'm confused, I'm broken, I'm fill in the blank. Step one to reframing is changing our verbiage. When you say, I am fill in the blank, you are identifying yourself as that thing, lost, confused, broken, whatever. You begin to take on the identity of that and perpetuate the cycle. It works a lot like a a self-fulfilling prophecy. Instead of saying, I am fill in the blank, say, I feel fill in the blank. There's a lot of power in that simple shift of a word. No longer are you identifying as that feeling, but you are correctly reframing that feeling and naming it as a valid feeling. Why is this important? Because feelings are valid, but they're not 
the facts. Feelings are valid, but not facts. You may feel lost right now, but that does not mean that you are. Regardless of how real it feels, it is probably not true. Look around you. Do you know where you are? Okay. You aren't lost. You are only looking for where to go next. It isn't trivializing. It's putting feelings in their proper place. I thought that was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Uh, And number three uh, is release. It says, we've recognized what is happening, reframed it, and now we have to release it. God is crystal clear, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, Isaiah 41.10 says. He has given you the dreams you buried deep in your heart for a reason. He will see it through. Release it to God of the universe. He slung the planets into orbit, breathed, and life uh, breathed, and life began, uh, and created you in your mother's womb. Uh, and so the basic point is here: you can't, you can handle financial worries, relationship chaos, broken family, crippling anxiety, and messed up situations. Even if you've made a mistake and find yourself sitting in the consequences of your misjudgment, he's still there. You can't change the past. You can't control what you can't control. You have to release those things instead of succumbing to paralysis by analysis. You have to release to move forward. And here's a cheat sheet he gives of a list of things you can't control. The past, other people, outside circumstances, other people's responses. Here's a cheat sheet list of things of things you can control, you and your response. So he says, you take the ownership of where you are and simultaneously forgive yourself for your part and others for their role. Without forgiving both yourself and others, you cannot move forward. The beautiful thing, it is so much brighter on the other side. Yeah, he gives a, it's not a super catchy acronym, but uh, T-F-A-R. He talks about, um, back to number two, that some of the ways that we can reframe. He says thoughts, which is the T. Thoughts lead to feelings. Feelings lead to actions. Actions lead to results. So that's pretty mm-hmm. simplistic, but I think that's actually really helpful. And I don't know if you were familiar with Peter Scazzaro in any of his uh, works. Yeah, yeah. so the quote that he includes here says, uh, emotional health and spiritual maturity cannot be separated. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Mm. Do, you, do you agree with that? I think so. Yeah. I, it does, right? I, I like Peter Scazzaro's stuff uh, on the emotionally healthy pastor, I think, is what he wrote on. And uh, these are really helpful, especially the new year, because new year is a time of like birthing new things. But it's also a time I think a lot of people feel regret, like, oh, another year and I'm still... Yeah, I think that's what makes an article like this pretty helpful, especially at New Year's. And I think it's one of those. I think that's at the core of why a lot of people ask that kind of question Mm -hmm. to people like pastors. Why? Why does my life turn out this way or how do I get out of this or this isn't what I planned? And I think at the very least, I hope that you're hearing we've all felt that way. You know, ministry people, successful people, whatever, whatever it is that uh, you're thinking or feeling, it's likely that other people have felt that as well. And at the very least, uh, I hope that these are helpful or encouraging to sort of reframe and understand, you know, about way forward. We'll come up next. We're going to talk to Pastor Harrison about an event taking place here in Chicago this weekend. You're not going to want to miss it. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Our little smiling faces will be right there on the profile picture. You can also go to Twitter at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. And uh, we're also podcasting. So wherever it is you get podcasts, feel free to go and like, subscribe, and review. That does somehow magically help us. But uh, I'm absolutely thrilled to have on the phone Matthew Harrison. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, great to be here. Happy New Year. Happy oh, New Happy Year New Year to, to you. Thanks so much. One of the things we've been doing is, uh, rather than me just sort of reading a bio from a sheet, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience in whatever fashion you see fit? Sure. My name's Matthew Harrison. I usually go as Pastor Harrison. And 
I was a pastor in a couple of parishes, a couple of Lutheran churches in Iowa and then Indiana. I was a pastor in a inner city parish and was part of a large renovation project for that neighborhood, building homes for home ownership and Head Start and a bunch of other institutions that came and joined us. And then I was called to work for the National Office of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and that's kind of a funny name, but mm-hmm. it's about a church body of 6,100 congregations across the United States and about 2 million people. Wow. And uh, so I served for about 10 years as the head of the social ministry division, the the life division, the the area that relates to all the social ministry agencies, the adoption agencies, the the uh, shelters, the international development and charity work, disaster work, etc. And then uh, in 2010, I was elected president of the denomination. Wow. Wow. And so this week is the uh, the Illinois March for Life happening Sunday, January 13th uh, at the Federal Plaza, 50 West Adams Street in Chicago. And uh, you're playing a prominent role in that. In fact, you're one of the featured speakers at the March for Life coming on this week. Can you tell us a little bit about the March for Life and then also maybe uh, what you're going to focus on when you do some speaking there? Yeah, the March for Life is just a great opportunity to uh, express views, positive views about the value of babies in wombs and also all of life. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we stand up and uh, speak in positive ways about um, uh, all children's value, even uh, preborn and unborn children. And I will uh, talk about the responsibilities of Christian citizenship and uh, the importance for us to be engaged in our world and caring for those around us, and especially for those who are unborn and those who find themselves in crisis pregnancies. So when, when you talk about the responsibilities of, of Christian citizenship, what else would you, would you say sort of fits under that umbrella category? Well, um, I believe the Bible talks about uh, two kingdoms, and Jesus says... Uh, my kingdom is not of this world. And mm. so you don't see Jesus sort of engaging in politics. And uh, nevertheless, he, uh, say, for instance, when the soldiers come up to talk to him, he, he never tells them, so also with John the Baptizer, he never tells them, stop being a soldier. He tells them what? Be an honest soldier. Mm. Be a good soldier. He recognizes, he says, uh, you know, Whose, whose head do you see on the coin? Well, uh, give what you owe to Caesar and what you owe to God. And he recognizes that people operate uh, differently in those two realms. And we as Christian citizens are members of these two realms, one the state and the other the church. Hmm. And uh, the church does not dictate to the state on the basis of the Bible what, it's, uh, you know, what it is to believe or do but rather uh, reason is what rules the state, what is reasonable. And so our fundamental message as citizens is, hey, vote. Vote for rational policies and rational laws. Rational policies encourage the church, because churches benefit society. Uh, rational law protects life. Uh, rational law cares about whether a child is born or not. Uh, Rational laws care for life because it is intrinsically valuable. Uh, On the side of 
the church, our message is this. Hey, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves the world. That includes everybody conceived. And, uh, you know, our message uh, from the Word of God is, hey, when Mary shows up to talk to Elizabeth, her cousin, who was uh, several months pregnant with John the Baptizer, Mary being uh, pregnant too, the, the New Testament, the Greek word says, the baby, John the Baptizer, skipped in her womb at the greeting. And then uh, Mary goes on to say, uh, this is fantastic. At the greeting of my Lord, Elizabeth says, I'm sorry, that this happened. So uh, Christ takes on our flesh even from conception and shows that it's holy and mm. valuable, and uh, it is uh, valued by God intrinsically for creation and also redemption. Mm. So those two, those two uh, sides of uh, of the argument are different. Hmm. They're different arguments, but uh, they lead the same place in this case. Absolutely. We're talking to Matthew Harrison. Uh, he'll be one of the speakers at the March for Life 2020 going on in Chicago. This is, in fact, the largest pro-life event in the Midwest happening this Sunday, January 13th from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, you can find out more uh, details at www.marchforlifechicagoconvention.org. That's March for Life chicagoconvention.org. Matthew, if you could speak to maybe somebody's driving in their car right now and they're like, ah, I think I kind of want to go to this, but ah, there's stuff going on on Sunday. You know, we've got this. Could you give that encouragement as to why it's important maybe for an individual or maybe even a family bringing their kids uh, to an event like this? Well, I'll, I'll give you two reasons that, you know, Jesus, when he starts out his ministry, it's beautiful. I love Mark's gospel. It moves so quickly. Mm-hmm. And this word and immediately does this and that. And right when he takes off walking, there's a, a leper comes up to him and says, if you will it, I'll can, I can be clean. And Jesus says, what do you mean, if? And then the text says, Jesus stretched out his hand, had compassion on him, and touched him. It's this great word for compassion. Splachna mm-hmm. is the gut. You know, it's like feeling, Jesus felt deep in his gut, uh, compassion for this guy. And Jesus never sees somebody in, in need and just walks by. He always dares to touch, to act, to do. And, you know, uh, John the Apostle says we are to be the same way. Whoever sees his brother in need and closes his, your translation says, heart, First John 3, how can the love of God remain in him? Children, let's love not with words, but in deed and in truth. Guess what the word is there for heart? It's splachna, mm-hmm. who closes his compassion. You have an opportunity to come out and show compassion uh, in this day and age, and according to the mandate of Jesus. And then secondarily, the marches are a hoot. You know, <laughs> it's a great chance to confess uh, rationality, to confess Christ, confess reasonable uh, government laws, and uh, it's a great time to talk to other people who are on the march, very diverse crowd of different religions and even some uh, non-religious. And you have a chance to meet great people while speaking and standing up for the truth in a very legal fashion. We are given the opportunity by our First Amendment to assemble and also freedom of speech. Let's not be afraid to use it. Stand up and confess. If we need anything these days in the world is that 
uh, we need Christians who are willing to stand up and joyfully confess. Well, Pastor Harrison, I appreciate you so much taking the time to uh, join us on the show today. Also, probably the best pronunciation of Splachna I've ever heard. Absolutely. In my life. So, uh, bra- <laughs> bravo there. You can, you can learn more at marchforlifechicagoconvention.org. That's marchforlifechicagoconvention.org. Pastor Harrison, thank you again so much for joining us today. God bless you, and thanks for all you do. Absolutely. Likewise, thanks so much. You've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good here on our one-year anniversary birthday show, ensuring that we can never use any of these segments at other times because I keep, <laughs> I keep saying these over and over These will never show up at a messed up. <laughs> Someone's like, wait, best of, yeah, maybe yeah. maybe people New weren't Year's aware Day, of that. We did that, yeah. What was it New Year's Day? Yes, Christmas. So we did Day. a show thirtieth and thirty first. Yes, Christmas Day was also a best of. Uh, yes, yeah, we didn't come in on Christmas. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> did you? Did I not know? Did I get the memo? Yeah, I recorded. It was pretty dark in here, though. Now that I think about it, it might not have actually recorded. I might have just been in here by myself, just talking. All right. So, uh, out of Christianity today, you can't change your spouse. Some of you were like running to grab your pen. Let me go. Uh, let me just read some of the intro here. It says, "My husband and I fall on opposite ends of the spectrum in many ways, including our need for order." How do you guys fall? The from the from family. I think that is an accurate statement right there. <laughs> Who tends to uh, crave order more? You or her? Like if order means cleanliness, yeah. then my wife does. Yes. What what else? What other categories might order? Order like in finances or? Well, that's a good one. I tend to be our more finance guy. But order like in schedule, knowing what's going on. You tend to be more she so? She tends to be. Oh, okay. Yeah. So in general, typically more, more her, but yes. maybe in finance. Okay. Uh, she says, because we both work, we divvy up the cleaning, and one of his assigned rooms is the master bath. I don't want to gender stereotype, but I've noticed that some men have an uncanny gift of selectively overlooking just about everything, uh, whether that be a dirty diaper or a dirty bathroom. On a practical level, my husband's gift means I have to choose not to be bothered by the mess or clean the room myself. Since I don't want to disempower him, I typically choose the former. One morning, I noticed his brown sock lying in the middle of the master bathroom. Instinctively, I bent down down to pick it up and experience what was either an epiphany or deja vu. Why was I picking up his sock when cleaning the bathroom was his job? I decided to leave it there and wait him out. It remained untouched for three weeks. He eventually picked it up only because the toilet overflowed on his watch. (laughs) Together, we laughed about my failed experiment, but in truth, it symbolizes a painful reality that all couples eventually discover. Our spouses will fail and disappoint us just as we will fail and disappoint them. We can respond by resigning ourselves to a, uh, what's that? Oh, a marginal. marginal. <laughs> yes, marginal marriage. I prepared myself for a French word. A, <laughs> a, a marginal. Mar- <laughs> That's kind of what I was reading. A marginal marriage by trying to change our spouse or by partnering with God to change ourselves instead. After 24 years of experience, I have come to the conclusion that if we want our marriages to thrive, we have only one option. Tell us what that option is, Brian. From it's so, as we get to this, do you do you ever, do you ever used to watch uh, Everybody Loves Raymond? You know, a little. My parents love that show. I never really did. Raymond uh, tells his brother Robert, who's about to get married. Uh, he says, "This just reminded me of it because." And then his wife finds out about it. But the marital advice that he gives is uh, just do it wrong the first time, and then she'll just do it for you. <laughs> this kind of reminds me. That of sounds it. like Raymond. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the uh, he goes on to write. Uh, sacred otherness. Most of us tend to gravitate toward relational sameness, spending time with friends who are very similar to ourselves, but however satisfying and easy they are, 
Uh, such homogeneous relationships fail to reflect the glorious diversity of God's creation. Hmm. Though the Lord blesses those friendships, he also invites us to intentionally engage with those who are radically different, like my husband. So that's kind of the key that this uh, this author, she she lays out there, is that we have to embrace that we, we're not going to be the same. And in fact, that's oftentimes what was brought us together. There's kind of a sacred otherness here. Yeah, I like what she says. When my husband leaves his metaphorical brown socks strewn throughout the house, I lose sight of our sacred partnership because I'm honing in on his need to notice the socks and pick them up. From my selfish vantage point, it would be far easier for him to become a different person than for me to change my heart and love him. And limitations and all, but I'm realizing that this is exactly what needs to happen. By designing marriage to be between one man and one woman, God calls us into the deep waters of otherness. Your spouse is different anatomically, neurologically, and physiologically by design, not by accident, since both men and women were created in God's image and called to labor side by side. It is in the context of sacred partnership that we reflect God more completely. And I, I think this idea also probably applies at a much grander scale in terms of like church community and diversity. And one of the things that you and I know have both said is that it's about unity not uniformity right and i think sometimes we can crave that uniformity in a marriage context and it, uniformity often looks like that person looking and thinking more like me right Absolutely. and that, that i think is where we get into trouble and i think this is a really well written article uh because um we do get ourselves in trouble with this. Like, yeah. oh, oh, I see this. Why doesn't my wife do this? Or she's going, I see this. Why doesn't he do this or think like this? Uh, and so they, he ends up give, or the author, she ends up giving uh, some really good, helpful points here. Says, for marriages to thrive and succeed, a change in this cycle is imperative. However, it's not our spouses who need to change. It's us. That one will preach right there. And the type of change that empowers us to have fruitful marriages is not simply behavior modification. It's transformation from the inside out. So in my own marriage, she writes, there have been three significant components to this transformation. One, focusing on my own issues. As we're processing some intense and prolonged conflicts in year 10, uh, the author says, I invited God to reveal how my sin was contributing to our unhappiness. Almost immediately, I became aware of my impatience, ungratefulness, and lack of grace. That's, hmm. a, that's a really great point and really, really hard to do. Yeah, no kidding. Number two, being a confessional spouse. It's now my habit to confess such sins to my husband in real time whenever the Holy Spirit convicts me. This practice is humiliating, but that's part of the point. Humility is a good thing. And number three, she writes, asking God to align my expectations with his. The Lord allowed me to understand how my off-stated expectations were impacting my husband. For example, I entered into marriage anticipating regular romantic evenings replete with flowers, gushy cards, and passionate kissing. Because these expectations were not grounded in the reality of my husband's strengths, when I repeatedly communicated them, he felt shamed. He was a bad kisser. It's not that we need to stop desiring things from our spouses, but we need to allow our longings and desires to be converted into healthy expectations. This is difficult work, and it should emerge out of a realistic assessment of our spouse's abilities and limitations. I think the whole point of this is uh, when you're married, you know, you need to look at the expectations you're putting upon your spouse uh, to be like you and see the world like you do and think like you do. uh, And it becomes unfair and really becomes a point of conflict often in our marriages. Well, it's one of the things, too, that I would often uh, whenever teaching on singleness, I would say some some of us are so focused on finding the one that we've lost sight of, like becoming the one. Mm. And I think that is that's an important shift, whether you're 
single, dating, married, newlywed. I mean, long term. I think all of that. I like how the article ends. It says, in the mystery of marriage, Mike Mason writes, marriage under the very best of circumstances is a crisis. <laughs> One of the major crises of life. And it is a dangerous thing to not be aware of this. Whether it turns out to be a healthy, challenging, and constructive crisis or a disastrous nightmare depends largely upon how willing the partners are to be changed, how malleable they are. I think, man... That the malleability is such an important challenge, and it's something that I think we all probably could do a better job of. But I'm—I'd be curious to know in the last few seconds we have, like, how have you seen this to play out in your own marriage? Yeah, I think it—it it comes in waves. So like, sometimes I'm really yeah, right. good at this, sometimes I'm not, because isn't it just the little things that cause the greatest? Uh, oftentimes the greatest irritation. She she says it at the end. Uh, she ends the article by saying, someday I even hope to overlook the brown socks. Like mm. it's things like brown socks, right? Dishes right. not being done. Those things right. day after day that end up causing the most problems. And so I think for all of us who, who are married or looking to be married, I think this article is really convicting because oftentimes we want to put all the issues upon our spouse and uh, and that's not under our control. A lot of times we just need to look in the mirror and say, what are the issues that I'm causing and my expectations are causing? That is well said, hey, Pastor Brian Fromm. <laughs> just, just like clockwork. Now, coming up next, we talked about Alex Trebek uh, a couple of times and in a recent interview. He says he already knows what he wants to say on his final episode of Jeopardy. In fact, he's already rehearsed it. And uh, I want to talk about that a little bit here coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began, because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good, everyone. It is still our one-year birthday. And we're still here. <laughs> They didn't pull the plug. I would like, if there's only like a software that we could somehow implement that would gauge how many times you said we're still here in our first year, my guess would be somewhere in the triple digits. <laughs> <laughs> if you just, I can't believe it. I'm taking the over. I'm taking the over. <laughs> not that we're allowed to bet on AM 1160, but oh, I, no, uh, I bet you we can. You you bet we can? <laughs> yeah. Five bucks, says <laughs> 
<laughs> I remember saying that to somebody. Maybe that was a sketch comedy. Somebody, they were saying that they had a gambling addiction. And the person was saying, you can quit. And he's like, I can't quit. The person said, you can. And he said, do you want to bet? <laughs> and I was like 10 when I heard that. I thought, well, that's pretty funny. That is funny. Uh, all right. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. Also, we are on the podcast fear. Pod- all over podcast. the podcast it's world. True. We think you can tell Alexa or your Google Assistant, play me The Common Good. We don't know if that works. If you want to try it and let us know, we would be eternally grateful. But uh, if you like, subscribe, and review, that does actually help us out. And uh, any sharing that you do with the podcast uh, helps kind of spread the word for us because we're still a new show. Although we are a year, though. I don't know if we can say that anymore. But, uh, yeah, I think we're still in the category of new. Um, We've talked about it a couple of times. So Alex Trebek um, has gone through a a bit of a journey, right? So Mm -hmm. do, do you remember when we first... Did a segment on him? I did until later in this article. It says in March he announced his stage four pancreatic cancer. I remember us talking about him making the announcement uh, on the show and just how, you know, impressive it was what he said, but how heartbreaking it was. And for many of us, we don't even realize that Alex Trebek's kind of a cultural touchstone for us. Right. Until this kind of thing happens. Well, and then wasn't it a a couple months later, though, that they thought it was in remission? Uh, Yes. Yes. And so we did a segment then, then it turns out that the cancer had returned. And so I, I found this interview uh, with Michael Strahan pretty fascinating. Uh, essentially, he says he already knows how he wants the final episode of Jeopardy to end in that he's already kind of rehearsed the speech. So just for some context, Trebek is uh, almost 80 years old and he's hosted this show since 1984. That's crazy. So I can't even really wrap my brain around like the, the kind of weight ending something like that must feel like. Um, especially when, you know, he's just been like a household name for so long. And uh, I'm curious. Well, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what he said uh, with regards to what he wants his final words on the show to be? Yeah, he says uh, he's already mapped out how he intends his final day. What will be a, quote, significant moment for the television personality? He said, I've kind of in my mind rehearsed it already. And what I would do on that day is tell the director, time the show down to leave me 30 seconds at the end. That's all I want. And I will say my goodbyes, and I will tell people, don't ask me who's going to replace me because I have no say whatsoever. But I'm sure that if you give them the same love and attention and respect that you've shown me, then they will be a success, and the show will continue being a success, he continues. He added of his final words, and until we meet again, God bless you, and goodbye. Can't you just actually seeing him say that? I was just going to say that. Totally. You could see it. Totally. Uh, Now, he he makes sure to say that he has not... He hasn't even really given any, well, of course, he's given thought to when it will end, but there's no date. There's no end date. He's he's trucking along. He wants to keep going. Uh, but right, but you could tell it's on his mind. Obviously, at the age of 80 with stage four cancer, it's going right. to be on your mind. Uh, even reading those words, though, is, is really powerful. And again, it being Alex Trebek, you can picture, you can hear him saying that. So I, what I, the reason I wanted to talk about this, uh, well, for a couple of reasons. One, we've sort of mentioned on previous shows, like, He's been an icon in my family and in yours, and you know some of uh, experiencing this journey in front of an audience has got to be so strange, yep. and just the level of wherewithal that he has about all of it, at least publicly, is so strange to me. But I, I'm wondering, have you have you ever given thought to last words in general, like your last words or mm. the last words of you know famous people or famous authors, or like is that is that ever Cross your mind. I wish I could remember some. I did. I, I opened a sermon one time with famous last words of people. And it is funny because sometimes they're really 
like not not poignant. Yeah, <laughs> right. But right. sometimes they are. I've given thought. I've I've never gotten to the point of giving thought to like what would my last words be if I were dying, right? Like yeah. I, I've never allowed myself to go there, nor had reason to think that way. Um, but I have given thought, not that I'm leaving my church or doing anything like that, but I have given thought to like, what would it be like for the last time to stand on this particular stage in front of this mm. particular? And you went through it. Uh, you've left yeah, yeah. the church that you led. I know. Uh-huh. I'd be curious how that was because. I did leave Glen Ellen Bible Church, but I wasn't the lead pastor, and we were. It was a happy occasion. We were leaving to go plant the new church. Out of there, there were lots of happy tears and like lots of embracing. I have thought about you know if and when that day comes where I have an opportunity to say goodbye to the church that I started. What would that be like? What was that like for you when you left? Uh, you left your church, uh, Poplar Creek. Yeah, it was incredibly difficult, man. <clears throat> I uh, I had some friends actually that. Um, were in even from out of town to be there for that for that really, last really? sermon, which was really cool. Uh, I wrote it in two parts. I don't know if that was partially selfishly motivated, yeah. <laughs> just because I felt like I had more to say than what I could say in just a single sermon. And then we had uh, like a going away potluck, you know. So you could argue that those same are sort day. of here. I think it was the same day. Same yeah, kind I think of it was. Time. I think it was that evening. And plus, we don't live that far away, so I'm still, you know, yep. really good friends with a number of people from that church. But I remember the weight and gravity of that final sermon being so incredibly unique mm. and unlike anything I'd ever felt before. I don't know mm. why. And, you know, I was there 10 years and we had weathered some pretty significant storms and I agonized over that sermon. I agonized over the conclusion in particular. Um I mean, not to sound too pastoral, just a lot of a lot of prayer, a lot of mm. kind of on my hands and knees before God, asking that these words not just be sentimentalism. You know, I don't want like I don't want them to be just sort of this like, man, what a ride we've had! Yeah, Isn't this yeah, been yeah. great? I'm really going to miss you guys. Like that all was true, but I wanted it just to be like soaked with gospel wisdom and like Holy Spirit insight, and not just like, well. See you on the other see side. Ya, you know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah, I, didn't yeah. want, I didn't want it, to, and I didn't want it to be about me either. And yeah. that was the other trick because you know there's a, a big part of your gut that wants it to be you in like your love letter to your church a yeah. little bit, um, which there probably was some of that. Um, Appropriately so. Yeah, I cried through it. Yep. I never. I I don't think I've ever cried that much while preaching. Mm. So interestingly, the one time the one time I've had anything close to this, like I said, I was uh, like. I was the uh, on staff at Glenwood Bible Church, uh, not at all lead, the, not the lead pastor at all. And we did our like going away service yeah. for the whole church that plant that was leaving out of there. And I got up to say some words. And I remember beforehand telling my wife, I don't think I'll be emotional. Like, this is a happy thing. Like, this is we're excited, this and that. Hmm. And before I, I got behind the pulpit and before I opened my mouth, I just started weeping. Like, it just no poured kidding. out. And I wow. think sometimes those emotions just hide, you know? Like, uh, I wonder, as someone like Alex Trebek, what will he be able to do? What, what emotions are going to flood to him in yeah. that moment? Now, he's as composed as they come. So Yeah, I think uh, he'll still be composed, to be honest. I do, too. But you can see him choking up a little bit. But yeah. I, I'll never forget that time. Like, go about to talk and just like, oh, I'm looking out at people who have been there uh-huh. since I was, you know, I started as a youth pastor there right. uh, two months after I graduated college. Right. And so these people who have literally been there as I've grown up in ministry and right. just looking at them and they're proud and happy of me at that moment. I lost it. Right. Just lost it. And I was, I was, I was very surprised by that. Yeah. I remember being really surprised too. I knew I was going to be emotional, but I, I thought that I was going to be able to get through the sermon yep. uh, with more composure. And I, and I wasn't, I do remember pretty famously, uh, Pancho Villa's last words. Do you know, do you know this one? No. Uh, his last words were, um, 
Don't let it end like this. Tell them I said something. <laughs> Those first famous. I'm actually. I just looked it up right now. Uh, James Donald French. Uh, last words of James Donald French, a convicted murderer, the last criminal ever to be executed under the death penalty in Oklahoma, said, "Hey, fellas, how about this for a headline for tomorrow's paper? French fries." <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of those types of quotes. <laughs> Go ahead and Google famous last words. Uh, Some of them aren't true, but they're funny. Humphrey they're funny. Bogart said, "I should have, uh, I should never have switched from scotch to martinis." <laughs> what were his last words? Can you believe that? Winston Churchill said, "I'm bored with it all." Yeah, I remember that one. Uh, it was like Nostradamus or somebody who who left and basically said something to the effect of, "I won't be here tomorrow," even though he wasn't sick. <laughs> he didn't. No kidding. <laughs> Said it to like his secretary or something. Oh my goodness, that's so strange. Well, last words are important, and uh, I, you know, again, our thoughts and prayers are certainly with Alex Trebek and his family because I think it is easy to forget sometimes that these celebrities and these TV personalities are still like real people with families and loved ones that can leave behind. And uh, I was just kind of moved by his awareness of you know his final show approaching and. Honestly, kind of inspired to to live like that. Live like we all know that, you know, yeah. we're not guaranteed the next breath. So stop putting off the thing that you feel like God has planted in your heart and take a step forward. Well, coming up next, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, Brian. It's called the X-Plan, giving your kids a way out. I'll be curious to know if you've heard anything about this with your kids being a little bit older. But if you have kids or no kids or ever were a kid, uh, I think this is actually going to be a really fascinating, interesting discussion about the X-Plan. Coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good on our one year. What's another word for anniversary? Birthday. I mean, other. that's not another word for. It's. Uh, have, well, you, have you heard Dimitri <laughs> Martin's bit about no. anniversaries? I don't even know who Dimitri Martin oh, is. He, a lot of his jokes are sort of like one-offs, but he said, um, <laughs> he said, how long has the word anniversary been around? That feels like something we should be keeping track of. <laughs> It's jokes like that. It's so good. So I got for Christmas, uh, my sister Labrello gave me the XM radio subscription Ooh. for my car, which is the best. And uh, I found a channel called Laugh USA. Oh, yeah. And it's just like two. Or do you have this? It's I don't, like, but I'm familiar. It's like one or two minutes of just stand up routines. Uh-huh. And I've just been I can't not listen to it. It's so good. And and you start to realize how masterful these people oh, are to totally. put these things together. It's fascinating. This is why I listen to comedy on Pandora a lot. Because they're typically in like two to four minute blocks, yep. and you just get a, a really. There's a bunch of comedy stations on XM. You they check are out. the Good Laugh USA is nice and clean. So when my kids are in the air, like in there, that's true. Some of them are not less <laughs> less less than clean. Uh, all right, so I talked about it a little bit before the break. The X plan, giving your kids a way out. So I want to tell you a little bit about it, and then kind of get some of your insight um, with you having kids a little bit yep. older than mine. So as friends, as my readers know, I get to spend an hour each week with a group of young people going through addiction recovery. Yes, young people. I'm talking teenagers who are locked away for at least six months as they learn to overcome their addictions. I'm always humbled and honored to get this time with these beautiful young souls that have been so incredibly assaulted by a world they have yet to understand. This also comes with the bittersweet knowledge that these kids still have a fighting chance with several of my friends have already had to bury their own children. Recently, Mm. I asked these kids a simple question. How many of you have found yourself in situations where things started happening that you weren't comfortable with, but you stuck around mainly because you felt like you didn't have a way out? They all raised their hands. Quick pause. That is remarkable. Yep. Just an honest question. How many of you find yourself in circumstances where you just wanted to get a way out? And they all said, yeah, 
they, every single one of them. In the spirit of transparency, I get it. Uh, though in my mid-40s, I'm still in touch with that awkward boy who often felt trapped in the unpredictable currents of teenage experiences. I can't count the time sex, drugs, and alcohol came rushing into my young world. I wasn't ready for any of it, but I didn't know how to escape it. And at the same time, not castrate myself socially. I still recall my first time drinking beer at a friend's house at junior high, and I hated it. I felt cornered. As an adult now, that seems silly, but it was my reality at the time. Peer pressure was a frivolous term for an often silent but very real thing, and I certainly couldn't call my parents and ask them to rescue me. I wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. As a teen, forcing down alcohol seemed a whole lot easier than offering myself up for punishment and the snagging and interrogation and the potential uh, and the potential end of freedom as I knew it. So for these reasons, um, we now have something called the X plan in our family. This simple but powerful tool is a lifeline that our kids are free to use at any time. And here's how it works. And this is where I want to get your feedback. Let's say my youngest, Danny, gets dropped off at a party. If anything about the situation makes him uncomfortable, all he has to do is text the letter X to any of us, his mother, me, his older brother or sister. The one who receives the text has a very basic script to follow. Within a few minutes, they call Danny's phone. When he answers, the conversation goes like this. Hello, Danny, something's come up and I have to come get you right now. What happened? I'll tell you when I get there. Be ready to leave in five minutes. I'm on my way. At that point, Danny tells his friends that something's happened at home. Someone is coming to get him, and he has to leave. In short, Danny knows he has a way out. Mm. At the same time, there's no pressure on him to open himself to any social ridicule. He has the freedom to protect himself while continuing to grow and learn to navigate his world. This is one of the most loving things we've ever given him, and it offers him a sense of security and confidence in a world that tends to beat our young people into submission. So I'll pause there and just ask you, have you heard of anything like this? Do you guys have have any kind of like rules or systems or protocol for situations like that with your kids? Yeah, I remember uh, early on in our marriage, my wife telling me stories that her family had stuff like this. My family never did, but her family, uh, if you called and said a very specific word, it kind of worked the same way. Hmm. Uh, in my family, uh, this this challenges me to make it more formalized. We have talked to the kids about uh, calling us and um you know, we've, we've tossed around a couple different safe words. And if you tell us this, we'll, you know, we'll know that. But this is much more formal. Like this one is like text an X. Here's what we're going to say to you. You're here's out the, the door. script. Right. Yeah. So this this takes it to another level. I am proud that I think we've had this talk with our kids and they know uh, that that how to get us and how to how to get themselves out of a situation. But uh, I do love it. And the next paragraph here even says uh-huh. uh, one of the critical components to this plan. Once he's been extracted from the trenches, Danny knows that he can tell us as much or as little as he wants, but it's completely uh-huh. up to him. No judgments, no questions and all of that stuff. So that's also an interesting part, because I know if, if my kid was like that, I need to get out of here. Uh, I'd be like, I'm coming to get you now, and I want to know exactly what's going right, on. Right, right. Well, and it does say one caveat here is that Danny knows if someone is in danger, yes. he has moral obligation to speak up for their protection, no matter what it may cost him personally. Uh, that's part of the lesson we try to teach our kids. We are our brother's keepers, and sometimes we have to stand for those too weak to stand for themselves. Beyond that, he doesn't have to say a word to us ever. For many of us parents, we lament the intrusion of technology into our relationships. I hate seeing people sit down to dinner together and then proceed to stare into their phones. It drives me nuts when my kids text me from another room in our house. However, cell phones aren't going away, so we need to find ways to use technology to help our kids in any way we can. I urge you to use some form of our X-Plan in your home. If you honor it, your kids will thank you for it. 
You never know when something so simple could be the difference between your kid laughing laughing with you at the dinner table or spending six months in a recovery center or, God forbid, something worse. Hmm. Which, again, my kids are so much younger. Yeah. Like This isn't really something that's entered my consciousness yet at all. But uh, it is something, especially, you know, you and I were both youth pastors. Um, we've certainly, I imagine, both had heartbreaking conversations with parents yeah. where they just felt trapped and they didn't know how to care for their kid or they didn't know how to best come alongside them or stand up for them or like I mean just walking alongside kids you realize man some of what seems silly maybe from the perspective of a 35 year old to a 16 year old you remember still being 16 and feeling like this is my whole universe everything's coming crashing in and this to me is like a really thoughtful strategic way of going after that I'm curious what what you think about the one component though where the rule, the, the, it calls it the critical component, where you, you're, the child's not obligated to give any yeah. information at all. Yeah, I need to wrestle with that one because I do see the value of it. If, if the goal is to get the child out of a dangerous situation, and if what one of the big hurdles to them getting themselves out of that situation is they're going to have to tell you, right? Like, hey, mom and dad, I was drinking or I was, I was trying drugs and it freaked out or whatever. I don't know yeah, what it would be. Right. If the main goal is to get your kid out of there. Yeah. Then I understand that you do. Uh, there is something that there is. There is something that 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 rubs me uneasy about it. Really, but, but I get it. Yeah, uh, and I do think a lot of this conversation um, has to do with uh, having uh, being in close relationship with your kids all along. Right, like right. Uh, not giving them too much freedom, but not being that hovering parent. Right. Uh, giving them, they know they've got the freedom, but they also know they have your love and, and that you're there to protect them and you're going to be there when they need you. Like, this isn't something where you just go, all right, kids, we're going to do the X plan. Here you right, go. And the kid's right. sitting there being like, what? Like, like no, I'm, I'm, use I'm, the trying, X plan? I'm right. trying to hide things from you. Right, uh, right. So a lot of this has to do with how are you raising, what are the conversations you're having leading up, as opposed to a lot of times as parents, we want to be like, Oh no, you're dating now. Let's talk about dating. Oh no, you're you're at a party right. with alcohol. We got to talk about alcohol. Whatever else it might be, it's more reactive. Exactly, right. and it, I think there's a lot of proactive work in this family probably that gets you to this point. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure as parents, we're being proactive. Your your kids want you in your life. They yeah. don't. Your your kids are not like oh. They might say it, and and yeah. and sometimes when you're too close, they'll let you know. But uh, I would think. Uh, put this way, if I went to this with my kids right now and like, hey, I was reading about this. What do you guys think? I would think they'd be like, yep, no, that makes sense. And oh, no kidding. Let's talk about it. And I don't think it would feel like some invasion. I think this is a good use of technology. We always bemoan technology with our youth and there's a lot danger with it. This is a positive to it yep. of, of a way it can be used. Yeah. And I think it's important to, like you said, to be cultivating the soil all the time. Yes. Like the the building of relational equity just takes time. So like exactly what you were saying to parachute in with this X plan, but Mm -hmm. to have been emotionally absent the last eight years is probably not the best strategy. And so to be thinking about, all right, so it's been a long time since I was a teenager, but can I actually really trust that my kids are sometimes in circumstances with all of their faculties and still are really scared or really needing a way out? How can I, as a parent kind of guide them in this really, you know, messy, tumultuous, sometimes really scary season. I think I applaud parents like this who are saying, all right, it's not a perfect plan, but here's how it works for us and hopefully it can work for you. And at the very least, yeah, I think I think you're spot on. Like be proactive in having these difficult conversations, not just reactive whenever they, you know, tend to bubble to the surface. Absolutely. For you. All right, coming up next, it's a topic we uh, have not tackled 
a lot in quite some time. I want to talk a little bit about uh, masculinity, particularly like the depiction and persona of masculinity when it when it pertains to like our young children and uh, what maybe some of that looks like for us going forward. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. If you want to find us, you can find us and have been able to for exactly one year today. Yes. I'm trying to work that in as many ways as possible. Not that anyone cares. Anyway, you can find us on... Oh, they care. Do they care? Yes. On Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Plus, if uh, you're a podcast and type, we're there too. If you wouldn't mind a little uh, subscription, a little review, a little rate there, um, that all does really help us out. And if you hit that share button, share it with a friend co-worker a neighbor or pick a number at random and uh and spread the love we really really would appreciate that that helps us out a ton and uh one of the things brian that we have admitted numerous times on air is that sometimes sometimes we'll delve into topics where before we start we think yeah i think i think i know where we're going with this one (laughs) you know a lot of these like what's it like to be a pastor like yeah i think we could probably other times there are segments and stories and topics where you and i are like I don't really know where we're going to go with this one, but it feels like an important topic and an important conversation, and uh, we just sort of go for it, which yep. maybe is more obvious to people than we realize. People are like, yeah, we're fully aware that you sometimes just take a deep dive into subject matter that you know nothing about. So <laughs> um, this might be one of those segments, but essentially here's kind of the big idea. Um we do you remember the the uh, the Gillette razor ad yes. segment we did probably nine months ago yeah nine ten months ago yeah. and there was a lot of there was a lot of heat on both sides of that actually we got you know some feedback some messages I had some personal people weigh in privately mm-hmm. um, and it's a topic that we have I don't think we've talked a lot about but you and I both have sons the idea of masculinity or toxic masculinity or uh, gender norms or what does it mean to be a man yep. or, you know, all of this. And, you know, we both, I think you've been to Promise Keepers. Did we talk twice. about this twice? So yep. I went with my dad when I was a yep. kid. Um, I don't know that we have a modern version of that in the church necessarily. There was the Act Like Men conference, right. which did not speak well to it. <laughs> In the end. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there was some good stuff yeah. said. Yes, yes, yes. But, uh, yeah, overall, maybe not a not an A+. Plus. But um, <laughs> I'm curious how you navigate. How old is your boy? My boy is 12. Okay. So you're like, yes. you're like in the thick of it, yeah. of the like, hey, this is what it means to be a man of integrity. Here's what, um, I mean, yeah. he's into sports. You've talked about that before. Very some of so. the more like normative, mm-hmm. like, yeah, he's a boy that likes sports. Um Yep. But how do you navigate some of those or have you had to navigate even some of the discussions either with, you know, your family or your church? Like, oh, here's here's w- what a picture of young masculinity should look like or does look like. Has yeah. that been a conversation you've uh, delved into uh, with my boy a little bit? But I would say something Carrie and I, my wife and I have uh, committed to is when our kids turn 13, one of us takes them on a trip. Oh, And so my son is turning 13 this year. Awesome. And uh, we're going to go. To, uh, it's up to him to decide. The, the rule is it's got to be. We've only done it with one child so okay. far. But the rule is that it's got to be uh, in the in the United States. And okay. they can choose in you know, a couple days. And so him and I, I'm sure, will go to baseball games or whatever. Nice. Season nice, games. nice. Um, 
But the intention of that is also to have some of these conversations. Yeah. So Carrie did it with Madeline when she turned 13. And uh, I'll do it with Jackson when he turns 13 here this year. Uh, But part of it is that to help them navigate. Because like you said, my boy is um, he's very much a a boy's boy. He loves to in the traditional sense. He loves Mm. to play sports. He loves to get messy. He loves to be loud and rough. Mm. At the same time, my boy is also probably through his childhood, he might be a little bit different now, but through his childhood has always been kind of the most sensitive and emotional one in our family. Hmm. And uh, quite frankly, I'm one of, uh, of his parents. I'm probably more sensitive and emotional. Like I've got that bent to me. Yeah. And so we want to be careful not to be like, well, you're a boy. Don't ever cry. Right. right. No, boys don't cuddle with their mom. You know, this kind of right. stuff. Um you know, I would say talking there there are some things culturally that make me uncomfortable. Like I do there there are certain ways that let's put it this way, I have two girls and a boy. Yeah. There are certain ways I've parented him that are different than the ways I've parented the two girls sure. and vice versa. And uh, I get a little uncomfortable when people want to take that away. But I uh mm. but you do when you've got both, you see some of the nuances, but some of the di- like how they're different, how they're the same, and um, that some of the stereotypes don't hold up. Right. Um, but I think it's a really important conversation. What does it mean to be a a man and a woman biblically? Right. Like I used to teach a men's group at my old church, and I'll be the first to say that we spent time going through the book "Why Men Hate Going to Church," and I thought it was at the time really good but now reading back i think it's probably terribly reductionistic and like mm. all men are this and this is you need to eat right. more meat at your church and the place <laughs> needs to smell like bacon and <laughs> here you go and I, and i just think that there's more nuance to it while not throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying there's no differences at all right and i think that's what that's kind of what i want to talk about too because um you mentioned even you know with your with your own kid and mine are so much younger only yep. two and red's about to turn one so there are certainly things that I've noticed, even with with Owen as young as he is, that he he he's like naturally drawn to trucks. I'm like that's yep. so interesting to me that you know already you're like oh yeah trucks, um, but I I also uh, am guessing I think he's going to be on on the sensitive side, mm-hmm. and the very fact that I even had to like explain it like that is is part of what I think is so difficult. Mm-hmm. So if a man. Or a young man, let's say a teenager, finds himself less interested in football and more interested in theater, mm-hmm. right? Not historically like a masculine or feminine thing. There's a, a good likelihood, though, that depending on his context, he's going to catch some heat for that. Like yeah. he's going to be ridiculed for like, oh, you listen to this instead of that, or yeah. you wear this instead of that, or you, you know what I mean? Like there, and again, I mean, it's a it's a sliding scale maybe, and neither of us are therapists or gender mm-hmm. experts, but it is an interesting discussion though, in particular, like what I find even with my two boys, as young as they are, sometimes if Owen reacts poorly to Redmond, I'll say, no, 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 you're the bigger brother, you protect him. Yeah. Yours, like, yeah. I get emotional thinking about it, like, oh, there, here are opportunities to talk about what I think are some healthy depictions, not just of masculinity, but of personhood. Um, And I'm wondering if you find like what we've done with promise keepers or some of these other wild at hearts where, you know, maybe some of it was correct, but like if someone, if a young man is in that church and is thinking, well, I don't like bacon though. So am I (laughs) I less of a man or am I somehow flawed in the eyes of God that I, I missed an exit somewhere and I don't, you know what I mean? Like, or I like fashion or I, you know, like, 
like what do you think are some of the ways going forward that the church can at the very least give better categories for some of this or yeah. is this more of like a stay in the home type of conversation or what? No, I think the church plays a role in this for sure uh, you brought up wild at heart again we I led a study in that book we did you it did. okay and there were so many great things about the book but if now looking back I just think where, where it becomes much more like cultural like much more like Hey, and now as a man, you need to go, you know, hike in the woods and you need to do that. And you're like, I don't really like to hike in the woods. How does that? But but when that gets tied to your spirituality or or your faith, like that's where it starts to become dangerous and hard to to pull apart. Because, yeah, like my son, he was doing things as a boy that his sisters never did. We'd find him just banging Uh his head against the wall. (laughs) All right. His sister never did that. But then there's other things. uh, and, And it reminds me that as parents. In the end, I need to teach my son and my daughters, you know, healthy masculinity, healthy femininity. But in the end, uh, my expectations can't drive how I feel about them and how I love them. Right. Like just because I dreamt when I held my son on that first day that he would be a major league baseball player. Right. Doesn't mean my love for him becomes dependent on if he becomes a major league baseball player. Right. And uh, uh, like you, you brought up theater, right? Like you've got that. It's like every bad Disney movie, but that dad who's like, nope, you're going to play football, football, football. And finally, by the end, he comes around. I just love my son who likes theater. Right. Like it becomes as parents, like what's going to drive my love for my children and my acceptance? Because that's going to really play a huge role in their own self-identity and how they see themselves. Well, in one of these two articles that we were kind of reading through here, um, identified that a lot of a lot of men who maybe had interests different than what their father anticipated for them listed their dad as the first bully they ever knew. Oh, wow. And they like, gosh, how heartbreaking is that? Yeah, so you want to avoid that. Yeah, right. And again, I think most people do, and they don't really realize that they don't see it like when it's right under their noses. And I think that's, for me, and again, this is a much, much bigger conversation. It'd be interesting to have you know some experts actually yeah. in the studio yep, talking yep. about that because I think I think what you said is right, though. I think that's a good place, at least for now, to leave it. Man, don't, don't let their interests determine your level of love for them. Right. Right. Which I think is, again, way easier said than done, but such an important thing for men and women, daughters yeah. and sons, that yeah. they know like, hey, man, my uh, my love for you is without condition. Yeah, and I think a lot of us would be like, I would never let that happen, like where I would love, right. but we do it passively. We do it in certain ways right. that it sends a strong message. Yeah, that's well said, man. All right, well, we're going to land the plane the way we always have. For a year. Possibly always. I don't know that we were doing these at the beginning correct. of the we show, were, were we? Either way, almost a year. We do them all the time now. It's uh, Interweb Insanity, stories our producers have found that we have not read, sound effects we have not heard. We're going to read them sight unseen. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, hello, friends. That music, can you call it music? Oh, yeah, I pause every time. I don't know what else to call it. That wall of noise can mean only one thing. It's the end of the show, which means interweb insanity, stories we have not seen, with accompanying sound effects we have not heard. But before we do that, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com forward slash The Common Good. Also on Twitter, at Common Good Talk, plus the podcast. So if you want to... Uh, also, John's been doing a pretty good job on the podcast and on the website to uh, isolate specific interviews too. Sometimes people will write us wanting 
you know, just the link to a specific right. interview. That's all there now. Thank you, PJ, for mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. Thanks for carrying us into year two, by the way. Numero dos. Of the common good. We are slowing down today, aren't we? <laughs> we are literally am, talking oh, more man. slowly. We need like a designated nap space at the work. That would be <laughs> helpful for everybody. All right. Do you want to kick us off, Ryan? From? I do. We're back to Florida. Yeah, we are. Uh, Florida police respond after parrot cries, let me out. <laughs> when someone in a Florida neighborhood heard chilling cries oh. and the words, let me out, they dialed 911. Little did they know the cries were that of a 40-year-old parrot named Rambo. Did hmm. you know a parrot could be 40 years old? I did know that. After the call, four Palm Beach County Sheriff's deputies pulled up and questioned a man who appeared to be repairing a car in the driveway. The Palm Beach Post reports reports that when the deputies explained their concern, the man smiled, then told the deputies he'd introduce them to the perpetrator. When he returned with the parrot, the deputies burst out laughing. The man told officers that he taught Rambo to scream, let me out, when he was a kid, and Rambo lived in a cage. <laughs> Officials could not be reached for more details. The agency did tweet a link to a video Saturday saying, our deputies in Lake Worth Beach came to, help, uh, came to the help of someone screaming for help. Hilarity ensued. <laughs> I said, uh... Polly want a cracker? Nah. Give me a short beer. John, what was that from? That's an old Looney Tune from like the 40s. No kidding. It's like it's a tour of a zoo and like the narrator's like, ah, Polly want a cracker? And the 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 Looney or the cartoon parrot was like, yeah, give me a short beer. That's a pretty good impression (laughs) though, actually. How are we not incorporating that more into the show? You promised us slow jam the news. And impressions. That is true. Coming soon. Year two. That's what we're hoping for. All right. That's what's happening. This one's just out of the whole state of Wisconsin. Uh, Charmin's Poop Time Robot Pal will bring a new toilet paper roll when you need it most. Ooh. Sign me up. Take my money. Whether you refer to it as the Wiz Palace. What? What? The Lou or the Throne Room. We really haven't read these. Is, no. it, is it obvious? <laughs> <laughs> it's a simple fact that humans must spend time visiting the toilet every day of our lives. Every day. Okay, yeah, I'm going with every day. day. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm going with every day. All that time spent on the pot adds up over the years, and to make life a little more comfy, toilet paper maker Charmin has come up with a range of tech-based bathroom solutions. At CES in Las Vegas on Sunday, the company unveiled the Rollbot, <laughs> a self-balancing robot that connects to your phone and will deliver a fresh toilet roll directly to your seat if you happen to find yourself on the pan and caught in a bind. It's not clear how the bare-faced robot which has no arms, hands, or thumbs, is able to wrangle a fresh roll out from the cupboard under the stairs uh, and open the locked toilet door to bring the roll right to you. But they're presumably problems for CES, CES 2020 and beyond. Ah, poop. Looks like Mr. Squarepants understands poop. Okay. Are we allowed to say those words? John did it. He's our producer. That's true. North Carolina family cooks frozen pizza, accidentally bakes a snake. A North Carolina family planning on a simple meal of frozen pizza at their Wake Forest home instead had their night ruined by a snake that had crawled into the oven. Amber Helm and her husband, Robert Helm, uh, were cooking a frozen pizza Monday when they started smelling smoke. I opened up the oven and thought, is that part of the oven? I looked more closely. It was a snake. Oh, my God. The mother of two said she did not know how the snake got into the oven or how long it had been there. Her husband was tasked with cleaning up the nearly 18-inch-long creature. Oh, no. I put the oven on self-clean after I pulled the crispy critter out. Mama! Nothing- snake. I got in the house. <laughs> snake. Give me that shovel. Come here. Get him out. John, John is laughing so hard at himself right now. He is so he proud of that. Also, okay. 
They're from Wake Forest, and it's a baking story. So it's a wait, awake and bake story. Okay, that's stupid. They're from Wake Forest, and a snake came out of the forest. A snake and snake and wait. <laughs> All right, Florida man having home built on Florida Island dresses up as sheriff to intimidate contractor authorities. Say a man dressed up in a sheriff's costume and drove to a contractor's house in Florida to try and intimidate him. Authorities said Thursday, Todd Geiger, fifty-one of New Jersey. There it is. There it is. <laughs> is accused of driving a Maserati with new. Jersey tags to the victim's home to play sheriff, according to the Sarasota County Sheriff's Office. Authorities arrested Geiger on Wednesday after being alerted in November to the incident. This town ain't big enough for the two of us. <laughs> Last one's out of Pennsylvania. Someone released bed bugs in a Pennsylvania Walmart, and now police are investigating. Oh boy. A Walmart in, in Pennsylvania is facing a bed bug infestation after someone released the parasitic insects in a men's changing room. A manager at the store in Edinburgh found a closed pill bottle with Live bugs crawling inside and reported it to authorities. No, thank you. The bottle was found inside a boy's jacket, which was for sale. On Friday, health safety company Echolab confirmed that the insects were bed bugs. An Echolab, empl- Echolab employee also reported seeing bed bugs crawling around the men's changing room oh. the same day. A Walmart employee later found a second closed pill bottle containing dead bed bugs in a men's department. State police are investigating the matter and looking for the person or people responsible. No, God! (laughs) No, God, please, no! 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 (laughs) No! (laughs) Well, that is one way to end our first year anniversary show, Brian Fromm. It has been uh, one heck of a year, my man. You want to do it for another year? Let's do it. All right. At least another week. Uh, another year as or long week. as they will have us oh yes yeah that's a good goal I'll take that well we hope that you've enjoyed this last year and we'll stick around we are so grateful for you our common good friends and family members and audience and uh, we hope that you join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. right here on AM 1160 hope for your life